0: Welcome to Surprise It's Not a Toaster, where healthcare digital experts Ed Bennett and I, Chris Boyer, delve into the fabric of online experiences, tackling annoyances, unveiling innovative solutions and cutting-edge tools, and also challenge AI's limits. Hey Ed, how are you doing today? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Not bad. Episode 7 already. I know. This is exciting. And um, we're getting to the point though where we really could use our listeners' help. Definitely. If you if you know something that annoys you or a tip on a technology or some widget that you're using or even a question to ask a generative AI, let us know. Yes. Um and we would be more than happy to try it out in our
1: podcast, so. Yeah, because I'm I'm worried that, you know, if we get to episode 50, I'm going to be really run out of things to be annoyed about without seeming to be incredibly petty about something.
0: <laughs> so I'm not sure. I'm, I'm finding that there every day I find a new annoyance, a new annoyance uh, right. being yeah. online. But anyway, speaking of that, Ed, let's jump right in. Yeah. But what's on your mind today? What's bugging you? Well, today I am going to start with
1: an annoyance that I think is universal, that every single person that's listening to this podcast will relate to passionately. And then I'm going to follow up. My tip of the day is going to be on a piece of software that is extremely niche. And if there's one person out of our audience who gets a benefit from it, I'll be extremely happy because I know that they're going to be blown away with the tool. So anyway, there's there's the preface there. So my annoyance is drumroll, please. Passwords. Oh, the annoyance that. Everybody's had since the invention of the web and continues to confound us and continues to get worse and worse and worse. The big problem is that every site requires passwords. Every site that you care about where you're, you're trying to do transactions, you're trying to get into personal information, whatever healthcare, they require passwords. You're banking. Mm -hmm. Now the risk is very high that if you don't have good passwords, you're in danger of hackers getting in there and getting access Mm -hmm. to your stuff. And then, of course, we have the issue of all these different organizations that have different rules about what passwords can or can't be. And a lot of common sense advice that has been around for 10 years has been ignored. Here's the the big one is usually it's your IT department who says to log into your account on the network, you need to change your password every 30 days. And it it can't be a password you've ever used before and it's got to follow this complex special characters and capital letters and all of that stuff. Even though the advice from the experts has been people shouldn't be changing their passwords all the time like that. Mm-hmm. And you don't need complex password with lots of different weird characters and stuff. If it's a password you need to remember, it can be a passphrase. I think the most famous one is that cartoon to XKCD, and they had a a password uh, thing where they said, use a phrase, use four random words that you can remember and push them together. And there's a passphrase. It's very hard for someone to figure out. The other big issue, so many people, let's say the majority of people just don't really care and they just do whatever's easiest. And they continue to use four or five passwords maybe that they, they know and they use it everywhere. And of course, that's the worst thing you can do. So what was the solution? Password managers, last pass, right. yeah. one password. I view password security as like how health, in healthcare, there's, a, there's a uh, concept of harm reduction. Mm. Like we will never have 100% perfect health or we will never yeah. have 100% zero COVID cases. We'll always have something, but there is harm reduction where you adopt techniques like the face mask and other things to reduce the chance that you're going to get sick. The same with passwords. And to me, having a password manager is one of the biggest things you can do in terms of harm reduction. It can get confusing. There are lots of password managers out there. There's a lot of drama and hype about when things happen to those password managers. LastPass Mm is a password manager that's been around for a long time. And a year ago, they were hacked somebody got into one of their developers' machines mm-hmm. and was able to download certain information about people that had accounts there. And I kept hearing about this and hearing about this. And when I read about their poor security around that developer's machine, I decided it was time to leave Last Pass and I went to one password for a variety of reasons. They have many better yeah. features, et cetera. As I was thinking about today's episode, I and now it's a year later, and I googled, did anybody actually ever lose their passwords because of the last pass hack? And the answer was right. no, no, ah, no. No one. Okay. Did. So they had they did everything right. They had redundancy on top of redundancy about how they protected the passwords. And even though the hackers actually got to download some people's entire password vault, the passwords themselves and the email addresses were still encoded and couldn't be read.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was bad but it wasn't disastrous. We mm-hmm. didn't have a scenario where thousands of people had hundreds of their passwords and accounts open to hackers. It's just an example of how you have to be careful of the hype. And I would say that despite that, the folks that use LastPass and other password managers were safer in the long term and were doing much better. It's difficult, but I, I've, been, I've been on a crusade for my friends and family to get everybody on a password manager. I have mm-hmm. one that I share with my daughter because she's mm-hmm. also in the, you know, does a lot of stuff in the digital world. Uh, I've got, if I die.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And I don't log in for, for a week, then she instantly has access to all of my passwords. So we've we set up those systems to to make life easier for everybody. But it's still an issue. You still have to go through. It is. You have it's to use annoying. Pass- even when you have the, the one password, You still have to log into one password if it hasn't been a while. Then you can go through and get your password and put it into whatever it is that you're trying to get into. So now there's this new concept called pass keys that is superseding passwords. And we're starting to see some uptick in this where the pass key is where you basically connect something that can use a fingerprint or visual recognition on your phone. And then that could be your pass. Uh, your access into whatever service uh, website you're going to. So this has just started to launch. I think that as it begins to become more common, we're going to see a lot of these issues go away. That it's going to be easier for people to set this up. And and if they have the phone with me, even if they're on a computer, they can just go in and it'll say, well, hit the pass key, and it'll be on their phone to hit their thumb. With their face and boom, they're in. That's something to keep an eye on. And all of the password managers and Google and many of the other sites are starting to set this up. It's available in yeah. Google accounts now and it's worth something to work, uh, worth looking at, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I use one password myself. Me and my wife, we use it for our family and all the things that you talked about. From a redundancy perspective, she has access to mine and I have access to hers and things like that. It took me about six months after getting it to get her to actually go through the process of taking the passwords off of the old systems and moving them into this. That transition, admittedly, it should be hard, right? It shouldn't be easy for you to press a button and then pull in all your passwords. But still, there's a little bit of that like lag time. But the other thing is, is that I found it's all based on me, user yeah. Well, yeah. well right? all, yeah, personal. Right? Like, so I go in and I'm like, okay, let, let, let's pull up the last password for, you know, my American Express account. And it has four records because I right. keep forgetting the password and then I create a new one and all that right. other stuff. Then I'm like, well, which one of these four is the <laughs> one that I got to use? And then I use the wrong one. And I'm right. like, well, I got to remember to delete that one because I don't want to ever go back to it. Or... This is this a uh, related thing. My health system that I work with, I actually go to two different health systems. They yeah. have one Epic account on the back end, which is okay. great because yeah. you can log in. However, the prescription uh, refill is a different system, yeah. and it requires a different password. And if I get prescriptions from one health system versus the other health system, it's a whole different password. And, and suddenly I'm like, I'm lost in that. It's this whole thing about passwords is just... Yeah, It's just so annoying. And I like the passkey. I use the facial recognition mm-hmm. on my phone to do that. Apple Pay is it all set up, too, where you could just you know double right. click and it sees your face. But I'm also worried. That- it will never be perfect. But then yeah, again, but- security online. I mean, let's be realistic. You're going to your passwords are going to be compromised sometime, right. right? Right. So it's just the nature of where we're at today.
1: Yeah. I mean, my, my advice is. There are certain things that you need to be extremely careful about. The number one thing you need to be careful about is your email account, by far. Because if you forget a password, what do you use? Get your email address. My email accounts are as locked down as I possibly can. with two-factor authentication and other backups. Obviously, your bank's. Those yeah. also have really strong, unique passwords and two-factor authentication if it's allowed and things of that nature. And then, you know, you can slack off a little bit <laughs> if you need to. But still, the 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 ideal is a unique password for every you yeah. know But well, I have over a thousand accounts in my one password vault. I obviously need to clean that up. Obviously, there's yeah. at least there's at least seven hundred that are <laughs> that accounts I'll never use again.
0: Well, this kind of relates to
1: the tip, right, that you have, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, my tip is um is for an exactly different audience, okay, extremely niche, but it's a tool that I used many years ago when I was at the University of Maryland Medical System and I was the webmaster for the the site there. This is back in a day when we were still using log files to mm-hmm. crunch and understand what was the traffic to our site and so forth. Obviously that is now kind of gone away because everybody uses Google Analytics, but I was still faced at that time with log files a daily log file back then a raw log file would have been at least 10 gigabytes it mm. was huge and this is a text mm-hmm. file I was faced with the problem of how do I edit and manage this file how do I get rid yeah. of say all the uh, bots and how do I change content inside each record and delete it or adjust it and change it mm-hmm. and there's this thing called um regular expressions that coders use, which is very kind of very complex language where you can have a system go through a text file and parse it and make all these edits and changes based on your rules. But it is a tough thing to learn. I spent years trying to understand it and never really could. So I found this tool called TextPipe. And this software, it comes in a variety of of flavors from a very uh, light edition to one that you put on a server. Uh, ranging from $200 a year to $800 a year. So it is, it's is—it's a tool for for industrial strength tool for managing large sets of text. It could go through a 10 gigabyte log file with millions of records and edit it and change each record and make modifications and do it in minutes. And it doesn't have to be log files. It could be files that are coming from data systems inside your, your IT department where you need to massage it and, and modify it. This was a tool that really just changed the way I worked and uh, I was able to use it for lots of different things. There'll be a link to it. If you need it, you're going to love it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very niche, but very I can niche. understand right. that, right? right? When you're working in right. an organization, it's very important to manage and wrangle that all in. I, right. I love it. I love that. I Obviously, as a personal running my own individual right. business, probably don't need it. But yeah, but that's a that's a really great tip. again once again, Ed, as people know you, they know that you are the person that has or you use all these different tools. So this is great. Appreciate that. All right. My pleasure. Well, are we ready to turn to the, yeah. uh, the next segment of the yes. Stump Chat GPT, which by the way, we probably should retitle because it's not GPT alone right. that it's, we're using. It's, it's like any open, it. <laughs> open generative AI platform. Right. This one was one that I really wanted to challenge these open generative AI platforms to see if they have any kind of self-awareness. So what I did is I actually, it's not just one question. I actually asked it three questions. And then I asked it to reflect on its answers to me. So what's the one thing we know about open generative AI platforms is the fact that most of the data that they get is they went out there and they scrubbed all of these websites to pull in information, all these data sources, right, to pull in data information. And they didn't ask permission. That's right. And then they turned around and they made it a tool. And now they're starting to charge for the tool. So that's problematic if you think about it, right, in some cases. No, I'm using the free system, so they're not charging me, but still, this is where it gets into all of the legal challenges around the screenwriters, uh, were, were on strike about this because they mm-hmm. didn't want, they didn't want them to read all of their works either, you know, and then suddenly come back with bodies of work that reflect mm-hmm. like them, etc. So this is what I asked. The first question I asked, it's a three part question. I asked it. What is one of the most legally challenging things a person should know about using Any open generative AI platform? I'm indirectly asking it about itself. So I asked chat GPT and it came back. It says one of the most legally challenging aspects of using these platforms is understanding and managing intellectual property rights, Mm -hmm. specifically regarding the generated content. Here's why it's a challenge. Copyright and licensing, potential for plagiarism, commercial use, derivative works, data privacy. By the way, I asked Bard at the same time, the very same question. It came back with the exact same answer, copyrighted work. So then I said, why is it ethically wrong for open genitive AI platforms to crawl all websites and use that data to power its own systems? Okay, now I'm really trying to see if it's self-aware, <laughs> Right. okay? And again... It came back, uh, ChatGPT came back and says, "Calling all websites and using that data to power an open-generative AI platform can raise ethical concerns for privacy, data security, intellectual property, bias, lack of accountability, erodes trust, and ethical responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it it reinforced it's essential for open-gen AI platforms, like any other technology, to operate within ethical boundaries. Incidentally, Bard came back similarly with a similar answer. Um, it narrowed it down to three, privacy, competition, and bias. So I think it understands how it works. So then I asked it, have you done this?
1: (laughs) That's good. ChatGPT
0: came back and said, no, I have not personally crawled all websites or used data from web crawling to power my systems. I do not have the capacity to do web crawling or access external websites. My responses are generated based on the last information that I've gathered since my last update. Bard answered similarly, I have not done this. I'm a large learning model, also known as a conversational AI or chatbot, trained to be informative and comprehensive. I train on a massive amount of data, and I'm able to communicate in a human-like way, but I have not done this. I said, okay, so where is the source of all the information and knowledge that you received? And ChatGPT comes back and says, I received this from books, websites, articles, research papers, and other text-based content available on the web. And Bard said, I received it from books, articles, codes, websites, and other forms of text and code that's available on the internet. So clearly it's not really piecing this together. So I wanted to hit the nail on the head, Ed. I said, Please analyze your last responses to me and point out the paradox of this response. This, <laughs> Good. this is great, right? Yeah. So ChatGPT says, upon reviewing my last three responses, I can identify a potential paradox. Let's break it down. Response one, I explain the ethical challenge of open generative AI platforms crawling on websites could be ethically wrong. Response two, I confirm that I have not personally crawled websites and response three, I explained that my knowledge and information came from a diverse range of sources on the internet and that my responses are generated based on patterns and information presented from these websites. The potential paradox or inconsistency arise from the fact that in my, in my first response, I provided an ethical analysis of web crawling, which implies a level of capability and action. However, in my second and third responses, I clarified that I, as an AI model, do not have the capacity to do this. Gaslight like much. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. And I, so and and by the way, Bard came back with a re- similar response. Crawling all websites, it's ethical to crawl all websites. Yeah. I have not done this. I'm a large learning module. I've received all this. And and then the response was the paradox is that I'm able to provide you information about ethical concerns about crawling websites and using that data to power large language models. Even though I have not done this myself. This is because I've been trained on a massive data set of text and code and websites, <laughs> which includes information about ethical concerns. Wow. Now that it was a long walk to get there. Yeah. It's so, talking
1: in circles. Wow.
0: So reflecting back on this conversational thread I had with both open oh, chat GPT and Bard, what do you think? Was it a pass oh, this, or a fail? This, this is a big fail. i agree i agree a (laughs) hundred percent i like the term you use gaslight it feels like they they gaslit us well there you go ed okay we're we're putting that we're putting these tools to the test we're putting the wraps on episode number seven for those of you listening in if you uh are listening to us and you're enjoying what we're doing be sure to go out there and rate us give us a five star rating please Of course. Uh, otherwise we'll stop doing the podcast <laughs> right. or and write something about it right we'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts that'd be really great so ed let's put a close on this show and i look forward to episode number eight you got it take care